Welcome to the Cagumentative Podcast. Uh, our regular listeners would have noticed that this is not Thomas Falconer. Uh, my name is Putin Piani, and I'm keeping his seat warm for this week. And as usual, I'm uh, joined by my esteemed colleagues. This time we have... Yes, hello. Uh, it's me, Bryn Wanaidu. I've been on the show before, but... Uh been away on an extended absence. I've been working though. Uh, I write for Sweat and Motoring and Sunday Times Lifestyle Motoring and I contribute to Ignition GT. And I'm Dennis Dropper, the motoring editor of uh, Business Day. And I, like Brenwin, I've also been on a bit of an extended trip to Cape Town. We've been driving many of the same vehicles. So we're going we're gonna to chat about some of those today. Fantastic. I'm glad none of you were quarantined for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, I've been safe. I've bought masks. I've got hand sanitizer. We've got pages looking at me like, wow. True story <laughs> about the mask. I saw him on the plane. <laughs> Listen, guys, obviously, uh, we've got segments that we have to do. We've got three this week. I'm quite looking forward to one of those, mm. especially where our legendary Dennis Dropper will be featured uh, in terms of uh, our classic cars that's sort of ignited the passion. Fantastic. It'll be interesting to hear what the, the esteemed leader has got to show in terms of <laughs> what inspired him, you know. But then again, uh, is it still a case of coronavirus? Excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, things are not particularly good on that coronavirus front. Lots of panic around it. Um, so in the news, uh, for example, China, uh, sales, car sales in China have plummeted 79%. And that's not an exaggeration. That's a legitimate figure. News story from Bloomberg. Uh, so much so that automakers have asked uh, the government for help. They want um Cuts to the purchase t purchasing tax um, and more measures support to support dealers in rural areas in order to to boost sales. That, that's quite a big story. Uh, they sold what uh, eight thousand cars, which is a ridiculous number for such a huge market as China. Yeah, I mean eight thousand, considering how vast their population is, is just poultry, really. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, China is a bit of a ghost town when it comes to uh, car factories. They, they've all shut up shop and they're all quarantining themselves and no one can say at this point when things are going to be returning back to normal. My word. And I see that uh, they also have introduced interesting ways of trying to stimulate the market in terms of now they can people can buy a car from home, they can <laughs> order it via a, a sort of digital portal and they'll drop it for you at home you know you don't have to come out and expose yourself <laughs> as long as that driver is wearing a mask <laughs> yeah no all these great arguments for the benefits of a digital era right stunning stunning and mr dropper what do you have for us uh, in terms of news this week well um news has surfaced once again for the umpteenth time that south africa will be back on the formula one grand prix calendar wow uh, now i interviewed one warren Schechter, who is part of the extended Schechter clan he is the nephew of Jody Schechter, who was South Africa's Formula One world champion in 1979. And Warren is the one who's driving this whole project. He's the CEO and founder of SAGP, and he's been working quietly behind the scenes for the last four years to try and get a South African Grand Prix back on the calendar. And unlike previous efforts since 1993, when we last staged a Grand Prix here, mm. he's very confident that this time it will actually take place. And he's talking about the earliest being 2022 South African Formula One Grand Prix at Kyle Army. 
He says he's getting all his ducks in a row in terms of the sponsorship from ah. the private sector and the government. And like I say, he's sounding very positive. Obviously, Formula One fans by now are a little bit uh, cynical about the whole thing because of there, there's been numerous stories about uh, possible street races in Durban, Cape Town, etc. None of them have come to fruition so far. And uh, so even minimal, considering the huge changes in Formula One so far. I mean, the cars have become so quiet and boring, you know. So I don't know. Uh, money is also mm. a big one. It's always been the issue when it comes to South Africa hosting a Formula One. In Pre- terms of where do we find this huge amount of money for it? Precisely. And at the moment, the hosting fee is said to be $31 million, which at today's rate is over 500 million rand. And that's a lot of sponsorship money for corporates to cough up and obviously ticket sales won't cover that because even right. if you have say 90,000 spectators mm. they would each have to pay five and a half thousand rand to be there and we know people aren't going to pay that kind of money to go watch that is a lot of money uh, and especially considering how tough economic times are at the moment and he has identified Kalami as the perfect venue for well that would be the obvious venue because uh, it was recently upgraded since it was purchased after yes. being neglected for many years mm. and it is uh, close to f- formula 1 specification yes. although you would need an additional investment to get it up to full F1 grading fantastic stuff you know uh, on top of all that i picked up on another coronavirus story <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> this it's time important. it's the, it's the new york Auto show that has been Cancelled. Just last week, we were speaking about how this virus is going to affect the industry Mm. in terms of cancellations. Now, the New York Order Show cancelled or postponed until August, which is just going to mess up the entire program, I gather. Mm. I mean, are we going to have another sort of... uh, flux of internet-based launches coming up. <laughs> well, I think, you know, that's the way forward. I mean, having attended a, f- of a good number of Geneva shows in the last couple of years, you see that attendance is just waning. It is a lot more convenient for people to to see these unveilings from uh, from their desktops and certainly cheaper too. Mm. It costs <laughs> these uh, motor companies a lot of money to to host their cars at these motor shows and for people to come and kick tires. So the digital mm. way has, has been the way forward recently. Indeed. And with news of Vodacom about to slash our data prices, hey, it could all be a win-win <laughs> for everyone, is it? <laughs> Silver lining. Yeah. Cheaper news. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, of course, we're going to go into a break now uh, in order to prepare for our next uh, segment, which will be quite interesting. Welcome back to the definitive uh, automotive podcast in the country right now. Do you agree, gentlemen? I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> of course, moving on to our second segment. This is the interesting one. This is the big one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, classic cars, or let's say cars that ignited what I call is petrosexuality in some of us here. And I can see Brenwin. I can see you, you know. I am just, I'm raring to go. Okay. I can see your stuff. When, you know? when, when we started planning for this uh, in our WhatsApp group yesterday, I, I got so excited. I was like, let me make a mental list of some of the cars that I used to just yeah. pour over and idolize. It's it's varied. It's mixed. So so here goes, okay. The Mercedes-Benz 123, the definitive OG Mercedes-Benz. First car I had a crash in. I wasn't driving. Oh, my word. I was, I was four. And I survived. So, hey. Gee, Good thing there. BMW 3 Series, the E36, in any variant, I, I just such a classic shape, 
uh, from the black bumper 316i to the e th- uh, to the M3. Oh, I was just about to get in there and say, not, not <laughs> in 316i, thank you. I'm going to be quick now. BMW 7 Series, Opel Calibra, Hyundai Tiburon. Don't, don't, don't judge me on that one. Mm. The, the VW Beetle, the Y2K one, also no judgments. Dodge Viper. Porsche 911, uh, 996, Alfa Romeo Spider and GTV, and Mercedes-Benz SLK 32 AMG. Very specific, that one. And, of course, the 55 that followed afterwards. Those it's were, quite an eclectic choice yeah. of cars that triggered this passion. Oh, of man. But that's I mean, just the tip of the iceberg. Are you saying that when you saw these cars, you felt like you want to write about them? Or yeah. They just they made you love cars more? Entirely fascinating. I mean, you know, that Tiburon especially, I mean, you know, my dad had a Hyundai accent, so took that thing into the dealership for a service. You see this Tiburon standing there. I was like, wow, that's that looks unlike any other economy Korean car you've ever seen before. You know? Strange enough, with your Tiburon, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw it, I thought, that car looks like a shark. Turns out, guess what Tiburon means? Yeah. Mm. Shock. It was certainly a very exotic shape for a Korean car company at the time. And they, they were sort of very bread and butter kind of brand. And the Tiburon suddenly came out of nowhere and yeah. ma- made it more of an aspirational brand. Game changer. But let's hear some of yours, Dennis. Well, I, I'm not going to give such a long list because I could <laughs> sit here all day. I'm going to focus on two. The one car that did it for me was the Lamborghini Countach. Wow. That was the poster on my bedroom wall when I was 15 or 16. And I gazed at that poster every day for a number of years and... That's what did it for me. And I was lucky enough that before my 40th birthday, I actually got to drive one for real. Mm. My mm. word. Mm. And look, it was a little bit like meeting your hero and realizing he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> because the car was a little bit of a pig to drive. Very, very harsh clutch. No view out the windows, etc. But But the whole outrageous char- charisma of the thing was brilliant. And just mm. every time you walked up to the car and just the shape of it, that Marcello Gandini design, just did it for me. It didn't matter how bad it was actually to drive. I mm. agree with you, especially in black. I would have wanted it with, the, with those JPS uh, lavery. You know, if it's black and gold. Mm. My God, what a choice. Yeah. I think it still turns heads to this day. It, that shape is still as fresh as ever. Yeah. Uh, it'll never go out of fashion. Yes. Then my second one, which slightly, slightly more modest, but it was the Opel Cadet Superboss. Oh, that, that was the one that seemed attainable at the time. And that you know, if you worked hard in your first job for a couple of years, you could actually possibly save up to buy such a thing, unlike the Countach. And uh, yeah, so, so those were the two cars that basically ignited my passion right at the beginning. The what about yourself, Putty? Myself? Gee, I've got uh, an interesting list which has got nothing to do with cars from... Uh, the Countach level as well as the <laughs> Tiburon no 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 let's hear it I can tell you my, the first car that I had a crush on don't laugh BMW 733i mm, classic what a car that was classic and then and then I had the Alfa Romeo GTV uh, the 3 the litre I think or 2.5 with a V6 they, they you would know that one both versions yeah there was both versions. 5 and a 3, three to litre. this day no. I still just fall down on my knees when I see that car and then we had uh, the Ford Sierra XR6. Yeah. And then the XR8 came and I just died. <laughs> With the double wing. <laughs> double wing at the back. <laughs> that was something else. Uh, Porsche 911 of any vintage. Of course. Uh, it's definitely my kind of car. As well as the famous battle between the Ferrari F40 and the Porsche 959. 
Yeah. Yes, indeed. I think that that battle just really injected so much into 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 me in terms of mm. you got to be a car guy somehow, you know. For sure. And then the mother of all, Audi RS2 Avant. Oh, beauty! Definitely on my list. Wow. First time I went over 260 on a German autobahn was RS2 Avant. Wow. RS2 Avant. In blue, I hope. Of course. What else? Oh, beautiful. my God. Absolutely beautiful. And last but not least, this was for my Boulevard Cruising Fantasies. The first version, Mercedes SLK. Uh-huh. We have yeah. two SLKs in the mix. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, oh, I, I can respect that. That, that to me. I, I also quite fancy the BMW Z3 around, around that time. Around that time. Yeah. yeah uh, it was an interesting niche. Uh, it was. That, that came around that and time. Then you had the Boxster that joined the fray. And you know what's even what's so sad is we were alive when the niche began, sort of little roasters, and we're still alive. It's dying right now. Mm. TT is gone, SLK is gone, just uh, Z4 just left. Correct, yeah. Well, TT is rumored to be leaving. I'm not sure that the final decision has been made, but it's definitely a dying breed. Really? You reckon? Because I'm busy writing an adios. I'll never see again TT kind of article. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. We'll have to look into that. <laughs> well, it's interesting how, I mean, in this room, we've got the convergence of three different eras. And I feel like the fourth, perhaps younger person who would sit here at some point would be rattling off about electric cars, the likes of your Teslas and hey. i3s and all the rest. Hey, so. you know what I mean? And for the fact, speaking of Tesla, you didn't realize that they've just sold their, they've just pr- produced their millionth car this week. Yeah, but they need to come to SA now and stop playing games. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. We still have uh, ESCOM issues, so right. uh, we'll see them in a couple of years. Time. Let's see. Thank you very much. Uh, in terms of our second segment, we're just going to take another break and uh, come back for the third one. It's an interesting one as well. Welcome to this third segment. Uh, yeah, we spoke about news. We spoke about cars that ignited the passion. Now we're going to speak about things we don't like about cars. This is going to be a big one. <laughs> I think you should go first. This might take a while. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should Jesus, go. should I even start? Uh, look, cars to this day, in these days, uh, we, wouldn't say we wouldn't say they're perfect, but let's say they're very close to being... I don't know, rounded, well-rounded. Yes. But because nothing is perfect in the world, we have been driving cars and we can pick up exactly what we think manufacturers may have just got wrong. For me, it starts with a key. Mm. There is nothing I hate more than a key which is shiny and beautiful. BMW is a big culprit of this. They make these gorgeous keys, right? But mm. here's the problem. You stick it in your chair, in your pocket, you sit down in a chair, it's gone. You try and hold it out, it slips out. It could be going into a manhole for all you know. It's covered yeah. in butter. So I'm the slippery key. Slippery <laughs> key. My God. Yeah. Why make it slippery? It's the most important aspect of a car. Lose that thing in a mall yeah. and that's it. You're but toast. you need deeper pockets so it doesn't fall out. <laughs> you should buy a, a, a man bag or a fanny pack. Have you seen the designer uh, pens that we wear these days? They're not suitable to these slippery keys. You know what I mean? As well as, I don't know, I, I do not like uh, to have to work to find a feature in a car. I want to have my USB and I come in. Here's a steering wheel. Here's a door. Here's a chair. Here's a USB port. Not that, okay, now where's the USB port? Is it below the chair? Is it behind the dashboard? Mm. Oh, God. If they can just make them straight up right there where you can find yeah, We yeah. use these. It can be quite tricky. Although I think that's more of an issue for a motoring journalist than somebody who owns a vehicle. Because yeah. once they become familiar with it, 
that's not going to become so much of an issue. Yeah, but if they have mm. to actually do some sort of gymnastics to get to it, I mm. do not think they're going to appreciate yeah. it. It can Either be a way. bit of a nuisance. My my pet peeve is a very minor one, <clears throat> and maybe you gentlemen will relate to it. Can we not just have knobs that adjust volume? Like oh, yes. how we've always had over the last maybe, I don't know, seven decades. I'm with you there. Instead completely. of plus minus switches for volume. Yeah. Twirling a knob is so much easier than jab, 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 mm. jab, jab, mm. jab, jab. But I, I think BMW has got a fantastic solution for that. I love their gesture control. You know, you don't have to touch it. No, it doesn't work. Sort of gesture in terms of <laughs> yeah. I want the volume up. It doesn't work. That <laughs> technology can work, but it's in its infancy. So you've got to gesture in exactly the right way. And if you start speaking Italian, then you're going to start <laughs> adjusting the volume. <laughs> People are going to think you're flipping them off and you know what drivers are like in Joburg, road rage. You don't want that. It's, it's, it's quite genuine. I mean, I, we can also add on to that uh, our climate control, which is... Uh, uh, sort of integrated in these digital menus. Mm. That's also a problem. You yes. know what I mean? I had the Volvo just last week and just to try and get the cabin to be cool, it's like, my word, you need where do PhD. I go? Oh, and there was a voice uh, voice button. Mm. Hello, Volvo. Can you make the cabin cool? I'm sorry. What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you there. Basic <laughs> functions such as climate control should still be old school and it should be like right there, instantly mm. accessible, so you don't have to dig into some di digital labyrinth to go and find Th it. This is hectic. This could Agreed. be a matter of life or death. There are people with serious illnesses that require, uh, you know, what, in instant cooling, you know, instead of a conversation <laughs> with a car to cool you down. Let me give you my two pet peeves. Number one, dual unlocking systems in central locking. I want um, to walk up to the car, press one button, open the door, front door, and or back door. I don't want to press a button, then try and open the back door and, oh, sorry, I have to press it a second time. But now I've waited more than the allocated one and three quarters seconds, and then I have to start the process again. Why yeah. do they do it? I'm always told by dealers, no, no, it's for security. But that's very vague. What kind of security? One press, open all the doors. Thank you very much. Mm. Well, I agree. I, I could see exactly what you're saying, there, uh, Lida, um, you know, because you wouldn't know that you've opened every other door. I mean, if someone is, is following you from behind, we have a serious case of uh, vehicle jamming and all that. Sure. You know? So if, why, if if the one door, if one click opens everything, that's like opening. Convenience. Literally. Convenience. On that note of, of locking doors, I've noticed there are a handful of cars out there still on sale without auto locking doors. And if you ask the manufacturer why, they'll also tell you it's for safety reasons. I don't understand why, because in other cars, if you have a crash and the doors are locked, it will un unlock automatically, allowing paramedics to mm. assist you. Yeah. So maybe it's just the thinly veiled uh, piece of I suppose rubbish. while we're still on that, what do you guys think of these new systems, these unlocking systems? Uh, Renault is very good on those where it's got automatic uh, unlocking. So the key uses a sort of frequency distance, yeah. mm. you know what I mean? And you walk, to, you walk up to the car and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it unlocks, boom, you mm. know what I mean? The you come in. And when you actually uh, alight, as you walk mm. away, yeah. Yeah. it's like, oh, you're going, automatic locks. What's your, th what's your take on that? I like to check when my doors are locked and that doesn't help. See what I mean? That is an issue. It is clever mm. and convenient, but then you're never quite sure whether the yes. thing's actually mm. locked. So when you're walking away, you still press the lock button in any case. Mm. Do we have time for my one other pet peeve? Of course. Okay. Plenty. The other one is sat-navs that have the arrow in north-orientated mode. Aha. Uh -huh. mm. So that means that sometimes you're traveling and, and you need to turn right, but the arrow is pointing down, and now you have to 
try and figure out, okay, put yourself upside down, yeah, I must turn right there, not left. Why does it not default to direction of travel mode? Yep. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It's happened. But sometimes mm. the car won't default to that. You have to once again jab, jab, jab through mm. an electronic labyrinth yeah. to find no uh, direction of travel. I don't even know why the north-oriented mode even exists and what kind of benefit it might have. Who, why do you need to know when you're going north? Yeah, who uses it? In <laughs> fact, if you're a listener and you are that person who uses that sort of uh, mode, tell us why. Please explain to us how this works for you. <laughs> can, can I speak on behalf of people who live in the north? This would be great for There's his deep it's pockets like there revealing himself. We are in the wrong province for that technology. <laughs> Smack in the middle of it. But of course, in terms of so many motoring peeves, you know, I've just remember one more which i don't mm. like uh, again it's all about placement have you struggled with finding the switch or the lever for uh the fuel filler cap in yes. a car yes for sure but it used to be more of an issue with older vehicles yes with, with newer ones they tend to work off the central locking and yes. there's not an extra button for that i remember driving an alpha back in the 90s it took me 10 minutes to find it, and I was quite embarrassed because the, the, the <laughs> petrol guy was waiting with his nozzle. Eventually, I, I had to open the cubby hole, read the handbook, read the and <laughs> the button for the fuel flap was in the cubby hole. No, oh, no. no. <laughs> Italians. I actually had a similar incident with a Honda. Uh, uh, what's that Rosa that got? Uh, the S2000. The S2000. Again trying to fill up and the guys waiting with the positive they're like okay where's this thing <laughs> we looked and really looked. you know we found it as you open the door right here the next on the pillar of the door ah it's like sitting right there i'm like my like a word. Porsche. Yeah. my word so yeah uh, if you are a motoring designer out there uh Please take please. our words to heart. Keep it simple, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> yeah, but you can't please everyone, though. You absolutely can't. Please can't. Everyone. And, and speaking of how we are so peeved about that, this week again, uh, Jaguar designer Ian Callum, I think, yeah. mm. he was also in a bit of a tiff with somebody who said, hey, you did this wrong. And he said, don't tell me how to design cars. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Not good PR. <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, hope you had a wonderful time. We've had a wonderful time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Us, Thank uh, you. Thank you. This week, yeah, it was an interesting one, and uh, yeah, next week catch us again on uh, Cargumentative. Join us. <laughs>